begin with prayer. Holy Father, uh, thank you for this evening. Uh, thank you uh, for your faithful uh, provision and bringing us all together. I pray that uh, your spirit would be with us, that you would teach and instruct us by your word, uh, that we would be uh, equipped uh, to uh, proclaim the good news uh, to, uh, to all people, that you'd give us opportunity and boldness to uh, witness to the things that you've accomplished in your son and his death, burial, and resurrection. And I pray that we'd have a better understanding of this uh, prophecy and this sign uh, of Emmanuel, God with us, uh, so that our hope and confidence would uh, be you, in you, uh, and in your son, uh, and that uh, we would know and understand that uh, you truly sent your prophet Isaiah uh, with this sign, uh, and uh, that these words are not just uh, his words, but uh, the very words of God. And so we thank you for these things, and pray they be to your honor and glory. Amen. All right, so we've taken a little uh, time off from Genesis after dealing kind of, kind of finished up some technical, detail-oriented stuff uh, with the creation account. Uh, and after uh, Eric uh, preached uh, this uh, Christmas, uh, preached on just some of the, uh, the, the signs, the prophecies uh, of uh, the coming anointed one uh, that Jesus fulfilled, uh, he mentioned this prophecy in Isaiah, so uh, figured that maybe we'd take a couple weeks and look at it, uh, but then uh, kind of taking account, found that uh, nobody was here before when we <laughs> did. I uh, looked at Isaiah before. Uh, so uh, we're just covering things in a little more detail, uh, but there are some new things I kind of want to build on uh, that uh, maybe a little over a year ago uh, we were looking at uh, Isaiah a bit. And so go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 7. And we were uh, setting up the context uh, last week, so we can't go into all that uh, detail uh, this time. Uh, but really looking at uh, this context in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, uh, king of Judah. Uh, and here uh, we saw Isaiah's commissioning in the previous chapter when King Uzziah died, uh, right around 740 uh, B.C., uh, although King Uzziah died uh, after a long reign, although he is leprous for many of those years, and uh, Jotham, his son, uh, reigned on uh, the throne on his behalf uh, as a co-regent or a vice-regent, uh, partner with his father. Uh, but uh, there were very prosperous times in Israel, and now that King Uzziah has died, uh, God is still on his throne. God is still reigning. God is still king uh, over his people. And so even when a Davidic king dies, uh, God is still enthroned uh, and reigning. And so Isaiah sees this uh, scene of the, of the seraphim uh, crying out, holy, holy, holy. Uh, he makes atonement for him, for his lips, living in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Uh, so then Isaiah can be commissioned uh, as his prophet. Uh, and we've read through this, but just look at Isaiah's uh, mission. Uh, so uh, chapter 6, verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And now, just notice, Isaiah is the only one standing there. <laughs> I mean, besides the, the angels. So uh, sometimes, sometimes people use this uh, verse as kind of like a go get them or, you know, uh, here I am, God, you know, or uh, it can be kind of maybe sentimentalized or, or made as just sort of a, a Isaiah is just suggesting himself or something like that uh, to God. But God is, he gives opportunity for Isaiah uh, to, uh, to uh, speak up. So I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. 
And he said, go and say to this people. Uh, so anyway, it's not that God didn't know who he was commissioning or something like that. And this was Isaiah's idea. Uh, but uh, uh, with Isaiah standing there, uh, God uh, giving his commission gives opportunity for Isaiah to, uh, uh, to speak up. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, uh, here I am, send me. And this is after his lips have, have been atoned for. And so now he can proclaim the word of God uh, and speak uh, his, his words. And so here is his mission. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And so lest, oh, we don't want that for this wicked and evil people. Uh, here, uh, Isaiah very much, although there will be a remnant, there will be people that, that come to believe uh, God will preserve his people, as we'll see in a little bit. But by and large, uh, Isaiah's mission is one of judgment upon the people. God has shown uh, grace and patience and granted uh, repentance to this people uh, for centuries and centuries and centuries. Uh, but now his patience is growing short. And so he's bringing judgment upon them. And so by and large, uh, God tells Isaiah that this message that he's going to proclaim to the people, uh, it's only going to harden them and harden them uh, until a judgment comes uh, upon them. Uh, and Jesus draws upon this uh, with Israel in his own day, uh, where uh, with his parables, they're both to conceal uh, the truth, but to reveal it. Uh, and so I had a professor that said that it, it challenges the people and he calls them to listen. Uh, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Uh, but uh, it, either, uh, it either conceals truth or reveals it. Uh, either uh, God grants soft hearts to people so they come to believe the word, uh, to, to understand, uh, but not just intellectually, not just mentally, uh, but uh, to believe it for what it is, the word of God, uh, and to repent and believe. Uh, or it hardens them so that they're often not even willing to listen to the message. Uh, and if they do mentally grasp it, they reject it. Uh, and so Isaiah's mission is very much uh, one of judgment. And so as we were saying, uh, how much better is it to proclaim the good news, knowing that uh, God has promised that he's going to call his people to himself and he's sent us uh, into all the world uh, to proclaim the gospel, uh, knowing that people will come to believe, although, yes, uh, many will be hardened, but uh, it's, maybe, it's not presented in quite the same way as Isaiah's mission, uh, which by and large sounds very uh, sort of bleak. Uh, might, it, might, uh, it might seem, you know, if you're God's prophet, well, <laughs> look at Isaiah's uh, <clears throat> response to this. Uh, let Isaiah speak for himself. Uh, so verse 11, then I, then I said, how long, O Lord, do I have to proclaim this, this message to this people that's only going to harden them? So we, we have the message. How long? How long? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and Yahweh removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, that's a remnant, isn't it? It will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. Uh, the holy seed is its stump, uh, or its stump is a holy seed. Uh, the, uh, the topic that it's about is the stump. What's being asserted of the stump is that it's holy seed, or it's a holy uh, seed, And so even when a tenth remain, you see this with the cities lie waste until cities lie waste. So that's kind of macro, you know, whole cities. 
without inhabitant, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, it's a little more narrow than a whole city, houses without people, in the land is a desolate waste, and Yahweh removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled, the whole, uh, its stump is a holy seed. Yep. Paul talks about the remnant in Romans 11 as well. And he talks about the stump. Because he talks about the, the olive tree and the branches that were broken off mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. grafted back in. That the, if the root or the stump is holy, so are its branches mm-hmm. and so on. Is Paul tying back to the same thing here? And is this last phrase or sentence in here an encouragement a little bit in, in light of a dark situation where, yeah, everything's getting lopped off at the bottom, but stump is still there. God's promises and God's holy there. seed, offspring. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, very, very well put. And Paul in Romans, he draws from a different, lot of different places. He draws from Isaiah a lot, uh, leading, uh, leading up to that. So. Uh, he could be uh, very well uh, drawing on uh, this text, especially maybe talking about a stump. Uh, but you also often have Israel, uh, this uh, imagery of God's pleasant planting, uh, his people, uh, sometimes depicted as a tree or fig tree, uh, things like that. Uh, and you see that in his covenant promises and covenant with David, Second uh, Samuel I think 7. Uh, uh, planting his people, never uprooting them again. Uh, and so here th- there is a holy seed, there is a remnant. Uh, and uh, it's this picture that has already come before, like at the beginning of uh, ch- chapter 2 in Isaiah, uh, in the end of chapter 4, that kind of frames Mount Zion uh, in the last days. Uh, and as we go through this, uh, we will see... Especially as we get to, we've touched on uh, Isaiah chapter 11, uh, you see the shoot, you see, uh, or the branch, the shoot, uh, the root of uh, Jesse. Uh, But you also see, uh, you also see a larger remnant as well. And so uh, these promises of the Davidic king uh, and the the ultimate ideal Davidic king uh, is bound up uh, with uh, the remnant uh, in Israel uh, with uh, the, the remnant uh, in Judah, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, and it's pulled all the way through, uh, through the book of uh, Isaiah. And so later you'll have, uh, you know, Eric was talking about uh, the cities of like Babylon. Uh, you have these uh, worldly, uh, earthly uh, cities uh, that are in rebellion against God. Uh, but then you have Jerusalem, and particularly the heavenly Jerusalem, uh, and you uh, see that uh, when God's judgment comes, uh, she's even sort of personified as uh, as a, a widow uh, who's lost her children and be, been bereaved of her children, uh, all the people, all, all the inhabitants. Uh, but as you get through, for instance, Isaiah 53, uh, or the fourth uh, servant song of his uh, suffering servant, and you go into 54, you see uh, uh, that uh, that Jerusalem is going to be inhabited and have many uh, children, and so she has to expand her tents and her uh, her uh, uh, the cords that, that uphold the uh, the tents to allow the people uh, shelter to uh, to fit in, and so. Uh, all this remnant theology is uh, carried carried throughout. And so uh, Isaiah, by and large, is a prophet of judgment, but you do see uh, that there's the hope of salvation planted uh, even within, uh, within here. And now we were talking about uh, last week how we have this Context in uh, right around 735 BC, and so Isaiah was commissioned uh, no more than four five years uh, before. Uh, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, 
And to cut to the chase, Ahaz was one of the most wicked kings uh, that uh, reigned over uh, Judah. Uh, and uh, during these events, he may have even been plotting to turn to the Assyrians if he hadn't already uh, sent anyone uh, for support. Uh, otherwise, very shortly after uh, these events that we see uh, in which uh, we're going to see a threat come upon uh, King Ahaz uh, and Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, named after the, the primary tribe, uh, tribe of Judah, uh, from which David comes. Uh, and we're going to see uh, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. Uh, now, king of Syria, it's really Aram. Uh, in these days, the, the term was Aram that they used. Uh, they translated uh, Syria, which is also a very old name, but uh, just because it's more familiar uh, geographically where that's located today. Uh, so Aram, uh, with its capital in Damascus, in King Rezin. Uh, and under uh, King Uzziah uh, of Judah, who, who has uh, died uh, uh, with Isaiah's commissioning. Uh, uh, Yahweh was still enthroned as king. Uh, Aram uh, was really under the control of the northern kingdom uh, under Jeroboam II, who also reigned uh, a very long time uh, and was a contemporary with King Uzziah. So Jeroboam II over the northern kingdom, sometimes called Ephraim for the prominent tribe of uh, Joseph. Uh, one of his sons was blessed by, by Jacob. Uh, and uh, so uh, this was a time of uh, great prosperity. Uh, and one of the times of the, the greatest power uh, and extent uh, of the kingdoms of, of Israel and uh, Judah. Uh, and so as far as wealth, as far as political power, as far as uh, their geographical boundaries, uh, it would have been about the closest that would rival uh, the time of Solomon. Uh, but uh, with the death of these kings, uh, we spoke about uh, Jeroboam the, the second dies. I don't know if uh, his son right after him was uh, Zechariah, uh, who... What did he reign? Six months. Uh, and then he was killed, which brought uh, Jehu's line to an end, fulfilling a, a prophecy against uh, King Jehu, who got appointed to wipe out Ahab's line. Uh, so he reigned uh, six months, uh, and Shalom uh, killed him, over, overthrew him. Uh, Zechariah, because son of Jeroboam II, in Jehu's line. Uh, and he only reigned one month, 30 days. Uh, and then Menahem, uh, I think, came after him. Uh, and Menahem and Pekah basically had rival reigns uh, during this time. Uh, and then at the end of uh, Menahem's time, uh, his son lived only about two years. Uh, I think it's uh, Pekahiah or Pekahiah. Uh, and Pekah killed him and took, took full control of this region. We'll be reading about Pekah tonight. Uh, and after Pekah, there's only one more king of Israel, Hosea, uh, after uh, Pekah will die. Uh, and Hosea, at least for a time, will have supported the Assyrians. Uh, Menahem also supported uh, and gave tribute to the Assyrians. Uh, but Pekah had nothing to do with uh, any of that. And so it was a very... Uh, catastrophic, unstable time uh, where they had king after king after king, uh, line after line after line. Uh, many of them didn't even have a single descendant uh, in the last ones. You had one who had descendant for a couple years. Uh, and so uh, Israel was uh, politically, uh, militarily, economically, I mean, it, it was in decline. Uh, very, very unstable. And so at this time, uh, Aram, under King Rezin, uh, the region of Syria, uh, basically became the dominant power 
uh, in these uh, these regions of smaller kingdoms in the land between. Uh, and so you have the great uh, the great civilizations and empires in Mesopotamia to the north, sometimes called Babylonia, uh, between the Tigris and the Euphrates, modern-day Iraq, and then Egypt to the southwest. Uh, but between this area where Israel is, you had these smaller nations and these smaller kingdoms uh, in the the Great Sea or Mediterranean Sea is to the west, the desert to the east. And so if these great civilizations and empires wanted to cross through uh, Egypt, Mesopotamia, and you have the continents, Europe, Africa, Asia, this was the area that you crossed through. And so uh, to have uh, uh, this, this region, uh, since so much traffic came through uh, militarily, politically, uh, through trade uh, and migration. Uh, it's often called the, the land between, where God planted Israel kind of in the very heart of all these nations. And so at this time, Aram uh, was able to become kind of the dominant power of these smaller nations like Israel, Judah, uh, the Philistines, the Phoenicians. Uh, you have uh, Lot's sons, uh, Ammon and Moab and the Edomites. Uh, Aram became the dominant power, uh, and we're going to see with their attempt to attack, uh, to attack Judah in Jerusalem, that they were building a coalition against the Assyrians, uh, but Ahaz and Judah would not join them. And so basically all these other nations joined Aram and Israel, but Judah would not. Uh, and so in this time, uh, in 735, and I actually have, let's see, it might be a little hard to see. Uh, some of you might have to come a little closer if you're seeing far away. We have a map here. We don't have a projector. But uh, during this time, uh, you have, uh-oh, computer's acting up. So around uh, 735 BC, you have uh, you have the kings. They come and attack Jerusalem. Uh, come from the north. Israel's to the north, uh, and the, uh, the Aram and Israel come and attack with their kings, uh, but they fail uh, to, uh, to mount an attack against it. Uh, and at least within a short time after this happened, if maybe not by the time that, uh, that Isaiah uh, goes uh, to him, sent by Yahweh to exhort King Ahaz, uh, you can read about, like in 1 King, King 17, I think it's uh, 2 Chronicles 28, uh, that you actually have subsequent attacks uh, from the Arameans uh, to the south of Judah at the port of, of Elat, uh, which was very important for trade, uh, throughout the region, uh, they attacked the south, and the, the Edomites uh, basically take control over that. Uh, the Edomites attack Judah from the south, some of their southern cities. Uh, the Philistines attack uh, from the west. They were along the, the sea, and they attack uh, into the coastal plain and the foothills leading up to Judah and capture some of their cities. And so uh, a tremendous amount of pressure was being placed upon uh, King uh, King Ahaz. Uh, during this time, and so it might sound kind of like a light thing, uh, but they're trying to depose him to overthrow uh, King Ahaz, to overthrow the Davidic line, uh, to put their king on it, uh, who will support them and support their coalition against uh, the Assyrians. And just for time, we won't look at the map uh, tonight, uh, maybe uh, next week. And so uh, let's just uh, read through uh, this uh, first portion uh, where we're going to see uh, this attack that introduces a, a major problem uh, into the scene for King Ahaz uh, and the people's response to it, which will prompt... Uh, God to send his uh, 
commissioned prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz to exhort him, uh, to uh, warn him, uh, to give encouragement, uh, to uh, stand fast and to believe in light of this uh, threat from these kings. And then this will lead up uh, to the offering of a sign to King Ahaz uh, that God uh, will stop these kings uh, just as he has uh, promised uh, to do. And so this whole first uh, scene uh, through chapter 7 uh, will involve uh, God sending his prophet Isaiah to exhort uh, King Ahaz uh, into uh, deliver uh, a sign even when King Ahaz rejects it. And then in chapter 8, it will turn to the unfolding of the sign in Isaiah's own day. Uh, but then, as we get into chapter 9, we'll project into the future, uh, looking uh, to uh, that there's greater fullness, greater expectations uh, yet uh, to come uh, for uh, the Davidic line uh, and for uh, looking to uh, the ideal uh, Davidic uh, king. And so, uh, Ryan, can I get you to read through a verse? Uh, actually, I, I'll go ahead and read. And so let's uh, let's just begin uh, leading up right before the uh, the sending of Isaiah. So, verse one: In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, so southern kingdom. Rezin, uh, the king of Syria, or Aram, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And now you see this tree imagery again, right? It's going to be reduced to a stump. Uh, and this is going to be pulled all the way through as you work into chapter 11. And you're going to see trees lopped and burnt down and uh, in God's judgment coming upon his people and upon uh, the, the nations and the Assyrians. Uh, and from this, uh, the, Davidic, uh, the Davidic king uh, the, the offspring of Jesse will spring uh, and the remnant uh, will come forth uh, along with him. And so uh, they tried to, mount, uh, to wage war against it but could not yet mount an attack against it. Uh, when the house of David uh, was told, uh, Syria is in league with Ephraim, uh, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And so it's Ahaz, uh, his heart, and the heart of his people. They're, they're fearful and afraid uh, uh, of uh, the uh, Israel uh, and their king and the, the Arameans. And so, uh, verse 3, uh, we see Isaiah being sent. And Yahweh said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sha'ar Yashuv, uh, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. So go out to meet Ahaz, you and She'ar Yashuv, uh, which means a remnant shall return. And we're going to see uh, Isaiah's sons are signs and wonders to the people. Uh, Isaiah and his sons are signs and wonders uh, to the people. And so it's not a small thing uh, that God sends his son along with him uh, and uh, as we were discussing last week, uh, this son, who has been named accordingly, and we'll see another son, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, uh, named by God, uh, was almost certainly uh, born fairly recently. Uh, since Isaiah was commissioned less than five years, four or five years, uh, and this son is now named and sent uh, as a sign to King uh, Ahaz. 
uh, his wife would have been, had to have been pregnant for nine months. Uh, and so he's likely no more than either a baby or a little toddler, probably no more than one or a few, few years or so uh, old along with him. And so he sends this, uh, this little boy, uh, and there's maybe a little bit of uh, irony. Here you have these great mighty nations in the region uh, that cause Ahaz uh, in his heart, in the heart of his people, uh, to shake and tremble like, uh, like trees in a forest uh, uh, from the wind. Uh, and God is going to send Isaiah with a little boy along with him. And he's going to have another son uh, and this baby, uh, these toddlers, these little boys uh, are going to be signs from God uh, that he's going to deliver his people from these great and mighty uh, nations. Uh, and so uh, where they often look to chariots and horses and Egypt and uh, the nations around them and building their own coalitions, uh, God sends, uh, uh, sends his prophet uh, and his, his little boys, his sons, uh, with him. Uh, and so the, this name, uh, She'ar Yashuv, uh, a remnant shall return, uh, will be significant throughout. Uh, can be a sign of hope, a sign of salvation, uh, and ultimately it will be that. Uh, we'll see a remnant. We saw God has already promised there will be a remnant. However, when Ahaz rejects the sign, it can also turn for judgment uh, on the people uh, that only a remnant shall return. Only a remnant will remain. And so both of these, these twin themes of judgment and salvation uh, and salvation through judgment uh, for the remnant will be pulled throughout these chapters and throughout the book of Isaiah. And so uh, go out to meet King Ahaz, you and Sha'ar Yashuv, uh, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Uh, in this conduit of the upper pool, uh, where he meets King Ahaz, probably looking at the water supply, as many uh, commentators note, uh, was probably at the northwest uh, of uh, where the temple would have stood on Mount Zion, uh, the palace to the south of the temple, uh, to, the north, uh, to the northwest uh, of that, uh, where you also had a highway uh, that would come in. Uh, and this is where the Assyrians will later come in Hezekiah's own day uh, to uh, speak to King, uh, to King Hezekiah into uh, his servants, uh, Eliakim, head over the house, uh, Shebna, uh, his officials. Uh, and so uh, they will uh, come uh, and speak. Uh, the, is it the, the Rav uh, Shakeh, uh, kind of general uh, man sent on behalf of the king of Assyria in chapter 36 uh, that will link back to these events uh, in contrast. Uh, Ahaz's unbelief at this time in King, king Hezekiah, his son, uh, his later trusting in God uh, in the face of the Assyrians. And so, uh, it, uh, go out to meet King Ahaz, you and Sha'ar Yashuv, remnant shall return, your son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Uh, that pool, the water supply would be very important uh, to uh, secure, uh, to make sure that they have water in supply uh, if they're facing the likelihood of an attack or, or a siege. And so go, go to meet him and say to him, here are the exhortations, be careful, be quiet, positively, be careful, uh, be quiet, and negatively, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. So be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not let your heart uh, be faint. Uh, and this is the main point uh, in the support for this exhortation to King Ahaz in the light of these uh, kings. Uh, because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and, and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Uh, so uh, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. 
because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Uh, and really, uh, this, uh, this language, it's basically from two tails or stumps, uh, firebrands, firewood, uh, smoking, uh, smoking firewood. Uh, and so, you know, they're kind of like kindling, or I mean, not even that. It's just kind of, kind of a, a log that's burnt, burnt down to, uh, to its very, uh, very stump in the fire, just kind of smoldering there in the pit, you know, with a fire that's uh, uh, going and sort of burnt out, uh, just the little uh, remnants of that uh, in, in a fire. And so, again, you have this imagery of the woods, of the trees, uh, and uh, Ryan, you're speaking about like uh, in Daniel, uh, you have the uh, Nebuchadnezzar spoken of as this great tree. And then you also brought up Judges, uh, where they speak of the rulers as trees. And so sometimes they're likened to these, these great, uh, uh, mighty, tall, lofty, uh, sturdy trees. Uh, but here he characterizes them as uh so be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. That's all they are. Why are you afraid? <laughs> uh, at uh, the fierce anger of Rezan and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Uh, and even here, uh, the, the imagery can be like the, the heat of one's nose or the heat of one's face of, of resin. It's kind of like when your face becomes red hot in anger. Same sort of imagery. So it's kind of playing off that uh, with these smoldering stumps of firebrands uh, at the heat of the nose or the face of, of resin. Uh, maybe sort of uh, woodenly. They, they have this metaphor in Hebrew, uh, but it can sound a little odd in, in English. Uh, at the fierce anger of resin in Syria uh, in the sun of Remaliah. Uh, and... <laughs> Here he'll, from now on, he'll only call him the son of Remaliah. So King Rezin is Rezin, uh, but Pekah is just the son of Remaliah. Maybe just kind of, he's just an usurper. Uh, Remaliah was no king. And he just overthrew uh, the king before him, outlasted Menahem, overthrew his son uh, after him, uh, Pekahiah, or Pekahiah. And so he's just called the son of Remaliah. Maybe because he really has no pedigree. Uh, he's not of the Davidic household. Uh, he's not even from the line of Ahab or Jehu. Uh, he, he really has no, uh, no claim. And so he's not identified, characterized as a king here, uh, but just the son of Remaliah. Uh, because Syria, or Aram, with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying... Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up uh, the son of Tabeel as king uh, in the midst of it. Uh, that language probably actually has to do with even dividing the kingdom uh, to, to themselves. Uh, and so, and here it's probably read more, more this way. It's leading up to God's, uh, his concluding exhortation. So, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up uh, the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says Yahweh, uh, Yahweh God. So because they said these things, thus says Yahweh God. Uh, here, their threat to overthrow King Ahaz, to overthrow the Davidic line, which also shows a real problem uh, for the northern kingdom and for this usurper, Pekah, or the son of Remaliah. Why are they overthrowing the king of David? Shows the unbelief and the, the rebellion that they would try and kill uh, the Davidic heir and, uh, and annul God's promises and covenants. So really uh, wicked times. So because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying... Let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it, our guy. Thus says Yahweh God, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. 
How's that for, for a response? You know, an encouragement from God's prophet. It's not going to happen. Uh, for the head of Syria, Aram, uh, the, the nation, is Damascus. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the capital. And the head of Damascus is Rezin, the king. Uh, and within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim, uh, the northern kingdom, is Samaria, the capital. And the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah, the king. Uh, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm uh, at all. Uh, and so here you see that these two nations, Syria, whose uh, the, the head, its capital is Damascus, uh, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Uh, and, and so it is with Ephraim. Uh, it's the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. Uh, here, as uh, we saw earlier at the end of uh, chapter 2, uh, the exhortation that was it, why do, you, uh, why do you regard man in whose nostrils? His breath. So his breath is in his nostrils. It's kind of like his life is just hang, hanging out of his nostrils, you know. Uh, uh, his breath could be snuffed out so easily. You know, man's breath is just in his nostrils. Why do you uh, stop regarding man uh, whose nostrils or whose breath is in his nostrils? Uh, and so here, as John Oswald says, uh, the, the head of Syria and its capital and the head of Ephraim and its capital are just these two men or just these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Uh, and so uh, they shouldn't fear. Uh, and in the midst of this, uh, within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. So God's saying it's not going to happen. Uh, and that was probably bound up with, uh, we're going to see, uh, between the next few years and then within uh, uh, Pekka will be done uh, the king of uh, Rezin will be done they won't be reigning anymore uh, they'll be off the scene of history uh, within 13 years uh, Israel uh, the northern kingdom is going to be no more Hoshea their last king won't be reigning anymore uh, deportations will come uh, and within about 65 years, the Assyrians also brought in a lot of foreign peoples into the land uh, where the, uh, the Samaritans come from. And so uh, they're, they're basically, they're going to be shattered from being a people. And so we, we see it conclude now, uh, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And so he's calling for steadfastness to, to believe, uh, to trust uh, in uh, God, uh, in his promises. Uh, it shall not happen. It shall not come to pass. Uh, be careful or watch yourself. Keep guard. Uh, be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And so uh, it's both a, a warning, admonishment, but an exhortation, encouragement for a King Ahaz. And so now this brings us uh, to uh, the, the sign. It's kind of interesting. At first it presents to Isaiah, uh, and Yahweh said to Isaiah, Verse 3, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shar Yashuv, your son, the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him. Well, then it blends right into uh, verse 10. Again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz. So it's implied Isaiah went with this message and proclaimed it. Uh, so <clears throat> verse 10. Uh, again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of Yahweh your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. And now, you hear that? A ask a sign of Yahweh your God. I mean, what encouragement is King Ahaz? 
And so here, God's prophet speaking to him is saying, Yahweh is your God. I'm your God. Ask, ask a sign from me. Uh, from Yahweh your God. Uh, let it be deep as Sheol, uh, the abode of the dead, or high as heaven. Make it as big uh, and wondrous and grand, as low or high as you can even imagine or think. Because he, uh, Yahweh your God, he will uh, fulfill it. So ask a sign of Yahweh your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But he has said, I will not ask and I will not put Yahweh to the test. Now would asking, would, would, would asking for a sign uh, when God's prophet commands you to ask for a sign, would asking for it be putting God to the test? <laughs> Sounds kind of pious, doesn't it? I, I will not ask, and I will not put Yahweh to the test. Well, he just commanded you to. Uh, who knows that if God's prophet commands you, if God, if God himself commands you to ask for a sign, go ahead. <laughs> In fact, you better. It wasn't just a suggestion. Ask, ask a sign of Yahweh your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, as high as heaven. That's kind of a reverse of Jesus in the wilderness and Satan trying to tempt him. And Jesus said he shouldn't put God to the test. But here it's yeah. commanding. Yeah, th- there, that, was coming, that was coming from Satan, Satan the adversary. And this is coming from the prophet. Yeah, coming from God. Uh, ultimately. And so, uh, there's an issue in which when God's prophet, when God himself commands you, when he exhorts uh, his people, his king, to ask for a sign, it's not unbelieving to do so. In fact, the believing thing is to go ahead and ask. But if God does not command that, and they just simply don't believe God's prophet, then it can become unbelief. And so later, uh, God will he'll give a sign, couple signs to Hezekiah. He'll offer a couple. Uh, and when it deals with the, the Babylon, or uh, Hezekiah becoming sick, uh, and he'll call out uh, Isaiah. Uh, and even there, uh, God gives a sign uh, just gives him one. He voluntarily uh, to King Hezekiah to encourage him that he'll live, he'll extend his life 15 years. But then after that, Isaiah tells him to uh, go up to the temple and gives him some instructions. And then Hezekiah says, what is the sign that Yahweh will give me that I shall go up to the temple? Well, he just gave you a sign and... <laughs> And promised you you'll live this long. You just had a sign, and now you're asking for another that you go up to the temple. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to go up to the temple unless you know God gives me another sign. So that was unbelief on uh, Hezekiah's part uh, to to ask because he had just received a sign <laughs> voluntarily, uh, and uh, God's prophet had just spoken to him and said, "Your life will be extended this long. Go up to the temple." And so he should have just gone up. And so there. You have Hezekiah asking for a sign, another sign, when it wasn't offered. Uh, but here Ahaz refuses a sign when God commands it uh, to him. Uh, and so the, the, there's a little subtlety, you know, about thinking about uh, signs appropriately uh, in uh, trusting and believing God's word. But if this prophet says, ask for a sign, go ahead. <laughs> if not, don't ask. Uh, kind of like uh, Zechariah, too, uh, John the Baptist's father. Because of his old age, he wasn't, wasn't believing uh, at the time, so he was struck deaf and mute because he didn't believe the heavenly messenger that was sent from the throne of Yahweh. So uh, Ahaz, it's a false humility, but Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put Yahweh to the test. And, yep. I was just going to ask, uh, 
hence has then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying. So did the Lord actually speak directly to Ahaz, or was he speaking to Isaiah? So it, it begins that narrative portion of God uh, speaking to Isaiah, saying, go to Ahaz and say these things. But then after it gets through the dialogue, when you get to verse 10, instead of just repeating all that, it just assumes that Isaiah did that very thing and it continues the dialogue. And so it just transitions uh, into the dialogue uh, and just assumes uh, that Isaiah had done that. So it's funny to think about narrative, but as you keep reading, like in the narrative, uh, as it updates and you receive more information, Again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz. Uh, and so it's already said that by sending Isaiah, it's implied he did it through his prophet. And so he's speaking through, uh, through his prophet. And so I uh, ask a sign of Yahweh your God, let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Uh, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put Yahweh to the test. And we'll see from the following narrative uh, in read more of Isaiah, but if you read uh, in First Kings or Second Kings 16 and on, Second uh, Chronicles 28 and on, around there, uh, Ahaz, if he hasn't already, he'll be sending to the Assyrians. He's, he's, put, he's putting his money, his bet, on the Assyrians. Uh, the great mighty Assyrian empire that's been on the move uh, and resurgent for uh, a number of years now and so he's not joining this coalition or submitting uh, to uh, Rezin of Aram or the son of Remaliah of Israel, uh, but he, he's trusting in the Assyrians. And so if he hasn't sent already to them, uh, he's about to. Uh, in fact, we'll, we'll even see uh, implied, might not get there tonight, but in chapter 8, uh, that the people are engaging in divination Instead of believing the word that was spoken from Yahweh through his prophet Isaiah, instead of believing in uh, Isaiah and his sons who are signs and wonders from Yahweh, uh, instead uh, they will look to diviners and mediums. Uh, they will look to contact the dead. Uh, and if you read about Ahaz's reign in Kings and Chronicles, uh, you'll see all of this. In fact, he's going to go up after the uh, uh, Arameans <clears throat> and King Rezin is deposed by Assyria and killed. Uh, he's going to go up and see an altar in Damascus and send the instructions back to the high priest to build a pagan altar. He's going to have Yahweh's altar moved, I think, to the north for divination. It can be divine from, but They'll put their sacrifices on the pagan altar. Uh, and so Ahaz was a really wicked king. And so this is just pure false uh, humility. Uh, said, but Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put. Yeah, I, I will not ask. And I will not put Yahweh to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David. Now, is this how the house of David should be acting? In, in unbelief, not believing God's prophet, not believing his word, not asking for a sign when he commands a sign. And so he, he recharacterizes them. Uh, he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? So he, he tires men out. I mean, Isaiah is tired and worn out uh, by Ahaz, you know, I'm sick of putting up with this uh, uh, this king, this house of David. Uh, is, it, uh, is it too too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Now, do you see another change? Ask for a sign from Yahweh your God. Now it's my God. Now it's Isaiah's God, not King Ahaz's God. And so giving the sign, you, you see uh, the, the concern of the Lord for his king, for the Davidic house, for his people, and that he's their God. He's with them. Uh, but now rejecting the sign and rejecting God and his prophet, 
You're the house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, uh, the Lord himself will, will give you a sign. Behold, uh, the virgin. So he didn't ask, but he's going to give the sign anyway. And so let's read uh, through the sign. Uh, we'll read through the end of the chapter because this is going to be important. A lot of times in, uh, we read Matthew. Uh, as we saw in Matthew, if you actually keep reading in Matthew, Matthew's going to quote a little later in Isaiah, too, to, uh, to sort of link these things with Jesus' birth and the beginning of his ministry. Uh, he'll draw from, to, uh, to us, a son is born. To us, a child is given. Uh, from the, around that same section where a light dawns uh, on Galilee of the nations, Zebulun and Naphtali. And so he understands how this fits together. But a lot of times we pluck this verse out of context, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, but there's, we're going to see there's more going on. And we're going to have to be patient and keep reading uh, about Isaiah's own day and then about the future. And so he rejected the sign, uh, but uh, he's going to give him one anyway. Uh, therefore, uh, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, uh, the virgin, or the Alma, uh, shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. So, he's going to be young. Uh, for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, uh, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. It shall not happen. It shall not come to pass. Just as God promised. Now, we shall already maybe be scratching our heads. If you just pluck it out of Matthew. Well, where was Pekah, uh, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, and resident of Damascus in Jesus' day? We already see there's a little more going on here. Uh, if you just read uh, the very next verses. So he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, of the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Yahweh will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come uh, since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day, four times, in that day, uh, in that day, Yahweh will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day, uh, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river uh, with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. So that's the sign, uh, and that's the prophecy, uh, read, read in full. Uh, Matthew only quotes a little piece of it, uh, and then as you keep reading in Matthew, after Jesus' birth, when he begins his ministry after his temptation and goes into the region of Galilee, he'll then draw from, I think of the Hebrew text part of it, it's at the very end of chapter 8, uh, verses are off by one, uh, but then in chapter 9, as he projects into the future, Matthew will also quote from that. So he understood a little something about how 
Isaiah in this prophecy unfolded. Uh, and so uh, you too understand that there is this intervening material leading up to uh, chapter 9. But he was more interested in the, uh, the future aspect of it and assumed that his audience uh, knew Isaiah. Uh, and now, just looking at the very start of this, uh, we'll have to pick up again next week, spend some more time on it than uh, intended, but uh, we'll be able to really look then at, at chapter uh, 8 uh, in this unfolding as well. Uh, here with this sign uh, that's given in verse 14, uh, and even right before that, uh, notice a few things that those who often don't want to connect this at all in any sense to Isaiah's own son, uh, and we're going to find that, I think, as we work through, as we see the unfolding of the sign in chapter 8, here you have it proclaimed to Ahaz, proclaimed to the house of David. Uh, but through chapter 8, the further we get, it's going to be impossible to not connect in any sense to Isaiah's own son, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. We even see that Isaiah and his sons are signs and wonders from Yahweh. But there are certain elements that they point out where I want you to see these contrasts, where there'll be, there'll be subtle allusions that are going to be picked up back in chapter 9 when Isaiah finally projects uh, to the future, to the future Davidic king. And so uh, when he speaks to Ahaz, verse 10, again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of Yahweh your God, let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I, I will not ask, I will not put Yahweh to the test. And he said to him, hear then, O house of David. So we're thinking about the house of David. So it's no surprise to think about a Davidic heir that we'll find in chapter 9. And again, in Isaiah 11, uh, with the, uh, the shoot or the branch, the shoot, the root of Jesse. Uh, so we're going to see, we're going to see a Davidic heir carried, uh, carried throughout as we uh, keep, keep reading and get beyond chapter, uh, chapter 7 and 8, uh, the unfolding of the sign. Uh, Hear then, O house of David. So thinking about the house of David, thinking of God's promises, thinking of his covenant. Uh, in the Davidic lineage. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Uh, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Uh, behold, uh, the virgin or the Alma, we can discuss that more uh, next week. Uh, really, the, the language has to do, a lot of times it's summarized as uh, a young a woman of marriageable age, but she's of physical maturity in her prime for marriage and uh, childbearing, uh, and in cases in which an Alma uh, was not yet married and was not yet uh, a young mother, uh, it would be assumed that she would be a virgin. And so as Eric was saying, it has enough range uh, to allow for the sign in Isaiah's own day with Isaiah, but then uh, projecting in the future uh, for the Davidic son, the Davidic heir. And in Matthew, you see uh, a greater sign. Isaiah points forward uh, and then you see uh, even a greater sign in uh, Jesus' uh, own day uh, in Mary and Joseph. And so, uh, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, he shall eat curds and honey uh, when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. And curds and honey could be a good thing. Uh, land flowing with milk and honey and uh, imagery like that. Now we saw that it turned bad later on as we kept re reading because of all the destruction that came. All they had was the curds and honey. Uh, but here, it's not necessarily a bad thing. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Not bad so far. God keeping his promises. Being faithful, just like he sent Isaiah to exhort him, do not fear these kings. They're two smoldering stumps of a firebrand. Shall not happen, shall not come to pass. So you see God's faithfulness and salvation. And just look at the last line. We'll finish here. So the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. 
God faithful to his promises. Yahweh will bring upon you and uh, upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house, the Davidic house, such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Now, when was that? Going back to Solomon's own time. And then Rehoboam, the son after him, the, the, the departing. And so reading up to here, all of this could be positive. Curds and honey, uh, the Davidic line, the Davidic heir, uh, the land uh, whose two kings you dread being deserted. All of this could be good. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. That was the United Kingdom. Solomon, the glory years of the Davidic line. But he saved a little surprise until the end. The king of Assyria. Now it goes bad. Uh, and so there, there's an ambiguity where he delays that introduction of the king of Assyria. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that your father's house or, or, or um, since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. You're, you're almost running out of error like reading that sentence and then it switches. The king of Assyria. In that day, Yahweh will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. Now it's all judgment coming from there. And so Ahaz, that could sound very hopeful up until that point. Now the king of Assyria, you know, his heart is in his throat or it's sunk down to his stomach. Uh, now it's, it's all bad from here. And so there, there are certain elements that are sometimes picked out and highlighted that concern the Davidic house. Uh, that concern God's promises, that uh, that initially sound positive, and by the time we get to chapter 9 and project in the future, it'll turn positive again. Uh, and so it's some of these, as you read close, you'll see some of these things, certain expectations building that uh, Isaiah's son in his own day, uh, you begin to see fulfillment, uh, but you're going to see uh, little hints that there's uh, more uh, more going on here. So let's just close with a prayer. We'll pick up next week. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your prophet Isaiah, um, for uh, the freedom and opportunity to open your word, to study these things. Uh, I pray that you'd help us uh, to understand, to grow in the knowledge of you and of your son, uh, that our trust would be in him, in his finished work, and uh, his death, a burial, a resurrection, and ascension to your right hand uh, for the forgiveness of sins for all who uh, turn uh, to you and uh, trust uh, in your son. And so we thank you for these things and we uh, pray that uh, he would come again soon uh, and that we look to your kingdom. So uh, please bring us back again uh, in a couple weeks and um, for uh, fellowship uh, meal next week. Pray in his name. Amen.